You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 323 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Malisha. How are you Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. What's happening in Gina World? Oh, so we're all open, all systems go here in Melbourne. Um, and uh, I've been out and about. Sorry. I've been catching up with friends. I've been traveling around Melbourne and uh, I've been to restaurants and cafes. Uh, and because it's like we just like summer started, it's been really mm. warm. I've been riding uh, my bike, Stella, my little Vespa around. Yes. And that's been beautiful because it's like it's all about the temperature for me. I don't yeah. like being cold. No. And uh, so through winter, I really don't like riding the bike but I love riding around when it's really warm and so the breeze doesn't bother me and it's just been fun it's just you know so nice to be and I know that a lot of um, countries now around the world are having like some sort of kinds of lockdown as well there's light at the end of the tunnel folks it's like you know uh, it's it's quite lovely to be out and about Mm, yeah Melbourne did it for months for months and out there shooting and uh yeah it's been great great that's exciting um so we have a really awesome episode planned uh we're going to get to the interview which is with our guest eduard florin niger who is a specialist in macro photography and the kind of things he does is absolutely incredible it's just macro 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 no it's extreme macro macro micro micro macro it's just (laughs) unbelievable it's it's like nano photography actually extreme macro is what it's called which sort of sounds like it's some sort of blood sport and you know anything that they put extreme in front of but it's just like you know highly magnified macro but he does have uh lots of tips that like i got so many takeaways from this interview so looking forward to bringing you that but in the meantime you have an interesting link for us is that right Gina yeah so I stumbled across of all things Leonardo da Vinci who great renaissance uh, artist uh his to-do list from 1490 and uh you know uh Calculate the measurement of Milan and suburbs. <laughs> Find a book that treat that <laughs> treats of Milan and its churches, which is to be had at the station years on the way to uh, Codusio. Uh, the measurement, it, like he lists all this stuff, which was like you know, uh, examine the crossbow, uh, you know, ask, but ask this maestro. And so what he does, what he did, which I love, and you know, this guy. Uh, Leonardo was a master at everything and very um, 
always seeking out knowledge was he would all all of his to-do list is if he wanted to know how something works he went to the master in that particular genre so he was a big fan of the mentor which i know that you're currently uh learning to play the cello val and so you didn't just go to jan who happened down the road who happens to have a cello you went to you sought out well who's going to be good at this caper someone from the um the australian sydney symphony orchestra Orchestra, right (laughs) so you know if you want to find out how to do something well go to someone who does it already does it well and so this is something that leonardo did even though in his own right he's just brilliant at everything he does Mm. but he respects the brilliance and the knowledge of others so he constantly seeks out this advice and also like there's something to lists now I'm a big writer of lists for for goals and also when I'm planning shoots and I love to to write down everything that I need to do and this is something that I encourage uh, a lot of the students in the goal community to do are you a fan of lists Val? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I write to-do lists all the time. Yeah, it's very satisfying. Um, with, with like, if you're ever struggling uh, to do stuff and you've l- lack motivation, just having that to-do list and then ticking everything off is mm. very satisfying. For but sure. also, I think that when you're doing uh, a shoot, like I'm a big fan of having a packing list. Okay, oh, yeah, that I, yeah. that's the same list every time and then I can tick off everything and that's I'm not going to leave behind a crucial memory card or a battery or a cable, you know. I don't ever want to be in that position, so I'm a big fan of the packing list. I'm a I'm big also- fan of the packing list. I use this app called Trip List. Yeah. Uh, not sponsored and um, big fan of the packing list because there were so many interstate trips where yeah. I would forget my underwear. Yeah. And forget like important things. So I I um religiously tick things off this list and definitely you should have yeah, a checklist and try and remember and it, it yourself. And it's just that, that little cable and it might be like a tiny little five dollar cable, but suddenly because you forgot that because yeah. it wasn't on the list, everything nothing works. Yeah. And it's like, and you're in the middle of somewhere that you like you can't actually get that cable. So the big fan. Also, one thing as a photographer that I'm a big fan of, and like I started the the lists were more intricate, but I think it helps me remember everything that I need to do on a day is of a shoot. Is I would do a shot list, so I would mm. c- create all my ideas for each particular shot, and then I would actually even um, sketch the idea. Uh, you know next to the next to the description of what I'd be doing and so usually uh, I would find that just doing this really detailed list I never really needed to um, review it during the shoot because just Mm. the act of drawing and describing it I'd remember it and it's and it has to be done by hand because there's something that happens with the the when you're writing physically writing something uh the brain remembers it differently to when you actually just type it onto a onto a screen does that make sense so true yes. so, so I'm, I'm you know i love the idea of carrying a notebook around and uh keeping notes and i i also like what i like to do on my um 
I've actually got the iPhone. Uh, there is a Notes app. I'm sure there is uh, mm. other versions of uh, whatever, you know, smartphone app. But it, just mm. in my notes, I've organized that into like a million different folders of each different category. Like I store quotes. I store photography ideas. I store, um, you know, all, all the things that I'm writing about in different categories. So like I, I, I'm a big fan of keeping detailed lists and detailed notes and then I think you do the same uh you've got a uh a wish list for each year which I think is also fantastic because it's great to go back and review what your hopes were what you want to achieve for a year I think you're Mm. a big fan of that too Val yeah definitely yeah Um, so I love this Leonardo's list and we'll put the link in the show notes as well but it's great isn't it yeah, it's fantastic. He's uh, amazing. If you ever get a chance to uh, read any of it, like I was reading uh, his uh, a biography, uh, and he's just the guy was a genius. Really. One of the things on the to do list is draw Milan. Yeah, <laughs> like, like just, of just Milan. like that. It's just you know, <laughs> it's uh, like, find a master. Is- <laughs> Mine's like buy smoked salmon. You know? <laughs> Find a master master of hydraulics and get him to tell you how to repair a lock, canal, and mill in the Lombard oh manner. God, you know, so nuts. specific. Yeah. But you know, and that is on the same list as draw Milan. Milan. You know, and get the measurement of Cote de Vecchio, the courtyard in the Duke's place. Like all this stuff. Yeah. And I've got my list is, yeah, I've got salmon on my list too, Val. <laughs> and camembert cheese. I've got to go. I've Ooh, run out of both. Now I want yeah, those, those two are it's a good yeah. have a craving. Yes, yes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you also have a link for Richard Branson's list. Yeah, so tip, Richard Branson has got lists. a list about like uh, uh, li- list writing, and he's a big, you know, the big uh, fan of doing that. And he's like, you know, write down every single idea you have, no matter how big or small. So he's a big fan of keeping a notebook with you. You know, mm. he says always carry a notebook, and uh, you know, find the list me- method that works for you. It could be yeah. doodles, bullet points, charts, and uh, yes, yeah, so I've included that in the show notes as well. Well, one you know, of the one of the Things that you should write on your list list is join the gold community, and I think that that is a great thing for you to tick off. Um, welcome to all of the people who have joined recently. It's so great to have you. Um, and if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the gold community. As a gold member, you can learn at your own pace and skill level. Here's what Pauline Clem had to say. While I'm a firm believer in having a mentor, you know, I came to photography when I was 54 and I just felt like I was running out of time. And I just thought, I need to accelerate my learning and this is the way I'm going to do it. And I joined and, yeah, haven't looked back. First of all, I love the fact that it's a global community. The body of knowledge that is there um, at my fingertip, you know, you come back, you listen again and all of a sudden it's making more sense to you and you're thinking, oh, of course, that's, you know, that's what I need to do. So the feedback's very quick when you need it. Sometimes you'll get back within the hour, almost always. The presets, the tutorials, it's all there. Instead of running around getting information from here, 
different websites, different books. Everything I need is in one place. And the other great benefit, of course, for me was doing the Sicilian workshop this year. That was a life-changing event. My photography is totally different. Uh, so, you know, I really credit being a member of the Gold community. That's what it's done. It's great value and I, I love being in it. What more can I say? You know, it's changed my life, really. And um, I think I'll be there for good. <laughs> you won't get rid of me. I would say if you're sitting on the fence, um, just jump in. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold Community, just go to GinaMilitia.com and click on Join the Community. All right, so this week's guest is Eduard Florin Niger. Um, and he is a specialist in macro photography. What can you tell us about Eduard? So, uh, like a lot of the artists that I find and want to interview, it's just because there is something about their work that stops me in my tracks. And I was—I uh, can't remember what the uh, where I saw one of his images. It was one one of the Facebook groups I'm in, but I saw an image that it, it is the cover image for for this week's uh, interview, and it was uh, a macro, extreme macro shot of ants around a drop of like uh, honey or sugar right mm -hmm. and it is outstanding and it's like I love the the great photography shows us a, it's another way of seeing right yes, and yes. we would you you would never think to that, that there is this whole other world and like we go about our lives and you know we're probably stepping on ants or seeing them and not thinking um, you know, giving it another thought about what they look like. But when you see what Edward has done with these images and extreme macros of like, can you imagine a, a, a millimetre across is what an ant's head is mm. and he fills the frame with that by taking um, multiple shots and focus stacking. Oh and uh, his rig, like there's also behind the scenes uh, images of uh, his setup and he's just... In terms of the lighting, he's just using um, entry-level speed lights mm. and, uh, you know, uh, the camera, but it's all rigged up to this uh, electronic system that he uses, and it's just uh, fascinating. He knows a lot about the bugs, and he uses um, – so he's using – focus stacking and then uh you know he's taking multiple images uh frames of a single image to build these uh large and extremely detailed images he has to move to another room when he's taking the shot because the slightest movement is going to uh mm. you know throw everything out of a register he's passionate about uh, bugs and animals and there is actually one that he will mention for Australian listeners uh, listen out for it because if you see this particular beetle it's on his uh, wish list uh, of insects that he that he wants to photograph and he's uh, he's now uh, working on uh, a book with a New York publisher of like ants about ants wow. workers of the world and so uh, before you listen to this podcast, just 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 interview. Just take a minute to uh, have a look at Eddie's work because you'll be blown away, and then you'll have a better sense of uh, what we're talking about. So his website is eddieimage.com. That's e double d i 
mage.com uh, and you can see all his uh, data, super detailed shots. So there's a lot in this uh, that you'll get even if you're not thinking of doing extreme macro photography. He's got some great tips for um, people who want to, you know, get it, get into photography with a like a basic setup. So he generously shares uh, a lot of information there. So shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Here we go. Here's Eddie. Eddie Florin Niger, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, very well actually. Happy to be here. Fantastic. I'm really excited to chat to you. I uh, stumbled on your amazing extreme macro images of uh, insects on a uh, another Facebook group, and I can't actually even remember what it was, but I just went oh my God, wow. And then I had to do a little bit of digging and went to your website and checked out your uh, Facebook page and Instagram. And these images just like stopped me in my tracks. They're so intriguing. You show this um, beautiful other world of uh, insects. Well, we ne never see them up this close. It's just uh, extraordinary. Ha be before we start, I'd just like to ask our guests, where in the world are you? I live in London mm -hmm. at, at the moment with my wife and my five-year-old daughter. And um, uh, how are you guys going at the moment? You've just gone back into a uh, sort of semi-lockdown, is that right? Uh, yes, it's a kind of a lockdown. Nobody's quite sure what kind of lockdown it is. But yes, we are until the 2nd of December. Right. And, uh, yeah. and this is uh, the extreme macro is something that you do. It's a bit of a side hustle for you. Uh you're a full-time teacher, is that right? I am. I am a full-time teacher, yes. I teach in a college. So, so yeah. how? what What was it that, that um, got you into doing this sort of uh, photography? How, how did you get into photography? Did you always do macro? Uh, no, I started photography back in my... Um, I did a police school, and in a police school quite a while ago, um, I was doing some photography on film. Or crime scenes and stuff like that. As for um, and forensic that stuff me. and that sort of yes, stuff, yes, yeah? Yes, 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 And that got me started into the world of photography. But then I I didn't pick it up for many, many years. And then uh, after moving to London, I decided to give it a go. And I have a look back. So, so what was your first uh, sort of introduction to macro photography? I, I imagine it wasn't um, this sort of extreme. What were you shooting at the start? The, the the first thing that got me to photography was street. I was doing street photography, but then um, I've always had a, a love and a passion for insects ever since I was a kid, catching them, letting them bite me and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then when my daughter was three, I think, or two and a half, she saw an ant on the pavement and she said, "Oh, daddy, what is what are its eyes?" I said, "Well, they're there, but I'm going to do my my best to show them to you." So that's why I got I started researching a little bit the ants and from ants just I just exploded into all kinds of insects. Yeah, they're just um, they're absolutely uh, incredible the 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 amount of detail that you get. So all right, when you so you actually also have a, a quite an extensive knowledge of insects is that something that you're also st uh, have studied a lot um no i haven't studied that formally i just um when shooting any insect when i want to even if it is in a, in the field or in the studio i read a lot about it 
Yep. So I, I know a lot more about its story and then see if I can put that um, in my lighting. So, yeah, no no formal education on in terms of insects, no. Many people ask me if I'm an entomologist. I said, no, I'm just a, a very, very enthusiastic insect lover. Right, and so... What it, it freaks me out, like on your website, the front front page, you've got like this, uh, like a stack of images, and you've actually put the measurement underneath. So many of these images, like they measure across one millimeter. That's Some just blowing my that, mind. Yes. It's blowing my mind. I, okay, so I have to know. How on earth do you get this close? What sort of um, gear are you are you using? Just sort of walk walk me through the process because I know with my little hundred mil uh, macro that, that that I've got, I can and some extension tubes, I can get fairly close to a water droplet, yeah. but nothing like the like the the little hairs and the nostrils and like a lot of these creatures, they look prehistoric to me it's this whole other world it's fascinating how's it done it is indeed yeah well um i use a lot of um microscope objectives right attached to to different uh, lenses as tube lenses or just uh, just a black tube a black uh, tube just, so uh, you macgyver something so and basically um, that's so that the, the the you can get that focus really close so do you want to talk us through get... this black tube that you use it's um, usually this um, um, the extension tubes that you mentioned that you uh, yep. may be using. Yeah. Uh, so quite a few extension tubes um, and a macro attachment. Then uh, coupled with that, I attach a microscope objectives. Uh, so the end, microscope and this gives objectives. Gives me a higher magnification. What, what do you mean by that? So is that like? There are some uh, macro attachments, like um, they're not. They're, well, we can call them lenses, but not in a, uh, in a okay. photographic sense. Right. But just an attachment that magnifies things. But that in itself um, doesn't get me to the magnification that I need. So coupled with a microscope objective, which is five times, ten times magnification, twenty times magnification, then that gets me really close to an ant's nostrils, as you said it. Yeah. So, so just for comparison, uh, let's say I've got a standard. Uh, my 100 millimeter macro lens. If I was yeah. to get an ant and just using that lens, uh, focus as close as I would in terms of filling the frame, how much of that ant would I get in the frame compared to the gear that you're using? You will get the whole ant, but not yeah. the level of detail. You will see the ant, but uh, yeah. depends on, on the format of your camera. But um You'll feel, you'll feel the frame, but you won't see the level of detail, no. Right. No, and you've got, you'll, you'll have a lot of negative space around the hand. Yeah. So in terms of like how the gear that you're using, how close are you getting to that ant's head? Are you, is that like uh, magnified as well? You, you enlarging that in post-production or is that what you're seeing? No, when in, post, in post, no, I'm not enlarging anything because um, that will distort the, yep. the, the ant's proportions and then... Um, any entomologist, if I post something on social media, will call me up on that. Right. So I don't. I want to. I want to be true to the to the characteristics of my beloved ants. Um, so, so there's a protocol the when photograph. It's like document true documentary photography. You can't be there. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. The changing colors. Have colors. To be, yeah. No. Wow. No. No. None of that. No. Because why? Why would I change a color to an ant? That's already amazing. I think you know it's. <laughs> 
It, yeah, you're right. Really... It's, it's, it's just, I can't get over it. It's just so incredible. Um, so, all right, are they, are they alive when you're photographing them? Some of them are alive because some of the ants, I work with various ant keepers who sell them as pets. And this is a, a very, very big industry. I mean, like uh, some people keep dogs and cats like yep. I used to. Uh, others, you know, keep parrots and birds and other reptiles. But myself and other uh, other people keep ants. And they're fascinating. And these ant sellers need uh, very, very good images in order for them to advertise their, their business. So a lot of the live ants I got from, from these people. Right. And also from people who keep ants as a hobby. I remember a guy in Germany who was absolutely amazing at keeping these ants. Yeah. He's got hundreds, hundreds of, of species from all over the world. I mean, this is what he does. He just travels the world in collecting ants. And he's kindly sent me loads of specimens. And the vast majority are live. But the, the true close portraits, those are impossible to get with a live ant. Right. So they're like, so how are they preserved for you to photograph them? The, so quite, I get quite a few ants from different uh, museums or universities, and they're already preserved in ethanol. Yeah. Some of them. Uh, some of them are dried on very, very tiny pieces of card. And that's how I get close to them, mount them in front of my microscopic lens. So, so you're working with tiny, tiny tweezers, and you must have excellent very, eyesight. I, 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 and uh, actually, my eyesight's gone worse. I have to wear glasses since uh, two months it, ago. It, yeah. So I'm using a microscope to prep this, the, the specimen uh, before. And if it's, uh, for example, if I receive a freshly deceased aunt from a keeper, they said, look, uh, the, 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 my aunt died, I can send it to you. Uh, then that will have to go through a process of cleaning and pinning in position and waiting for the aunt to dry because uh, the antennas will droop and the, the mandibles need to be open, which... Trying to open the mandibles of, of a deceased ant when the head is a millimeter or less than a millimeter wide, it's 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 not an easy task under a microscope. So all the de- I mean all the detail that I, we see in the images, you're not seeing that with with the naked eye. It's like so it it's must be just yeah. so it must be just such a delight to discover what they actually look like under the microscope when you're seeing this whole completely different world is there um a particular ant that's just been like just blew you away with, but because it wasn't oh, what every you time, expected uh, I've, I've i've got so many different ants that are on my bucket list to photograph and every time i research more and more i found more that i i think oh, oh this is my favorite now oh, this is my favorite now right today I, I posted something on social media about an ant that is coincidentally from munich the woods um and it's called the greenhead ant. But the colors on that is only five millimeters, the whole ant. But the colors on it, you you, you know, don't see colors like that on a rainbow. It's, it's truly, truly amazing. All right. So, um, so you've got – what camera are you using? I'm using a, a couple of cameras. One of them is a full-frame, a DA10. Right. Because that's uh, the quite a lot of detail on that. Yes. And – I'm hoping to get a D850 a bit more. And right. for the live ants, uh, because I have to chase them around with my camera and my lighting system and so on, um, I use a D500. Okay, so. Which gets me. Nice and close. With the live ants, yeah. how on earth do you. 
get get an ant in position and light it and get it to hold still and get these details. So uh, yes. there is there is a beautiful image that you did where you've got uh, several ants around. Um, they're feeding. It's feeding time. So and you're shooting from yeah. above, which is just extraordinary mm. to see. So is that is that a matter of like putting some food? Are you luring them? What what techniques? It's are you it's using? it's it is. I just put a piece of paper down and a, a drop of uh, honey water. Mm. I just wanted to see how many ants would come. Yep. To be honest. I just wanted to see how many ants can I fit. I wanted to photograph the ants in, in, in the life size on, on the sensor. So I said, how many ants can I fit on a sensor life size? And this the process took about four hours because um, they wouldn't come. So I just <laughs> waited there with my cameras and the flashes and whatnot. Um, but um, four and a half hours later, I was really happy with the, with the shots that oh, I got. Oh, yeah, it's extraordinary. All right, so... Mm. You've got these live ants. You're setting up like a, a set, I guess. So I see there's a, a variety of things that you do. Like I love that you um, do uh, where you've got the reflection of the insect. So you're using like a, a sheet of plexiglass, I imagine, right, to place them yeah, on? Yeah, something like that. To, yeah. Yeah, something like that to reflect the ant, yes. And so they've got the area and maybe you'll put a drop of food no, the, the, for those ones, I don't use food because uh, it's it's very difficult to remove it in post yep. in Photoshop and whatnot. It's very difficult and it's time-consuming. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've tried it many times and it didn't work. And I, I, I had to leave the, the drop of uh, food there. But that would defeat the purpose of, I don't want to see an ant eating. I mean, I don't want to see a person eating. I don't want to see an ant eating. Yeah. So... Um, it's just sheer patience. I spend maybe hours on my knees and when I can't stand up while chasing them. And it, the, the, the trick is to get the ant to be comfortable and to stress the ant. Right. I so keep they, it on they, my on Are myself. they aware of you? Can you feel that? Can you sense that they're aware of you oh, yeah, watching and waiting? I've, oh, yeah. They are very much aware because I've, for example, I photographed the, the most dangerous insect, which is an ant, the most potent sting in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and I had three of them live. And to photograph them, I had to be very careful because one sting of that ant, which is called a bullet ant or 24-hour ant, um, would be quite quite damaging to my health because um, the pain is so intense. It's, it's the most uh, intense pain a person can can uh, observe without dying. Wow. So it's, it's really, really dangerous. Um, and you can see, and then some of them, they just snap their jaws at you when you get close with your tweezers and so on. So I said, okay, so let's just leave the ant alone, let it move about um, under a very transparent cover. Yes. And once the ant settles down for about an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, just gently lift the cover and chase it gently with, with the camera and the lighting. So, wow. yes, it's a, it's a, for example, if a, for one ant, for one species, if I photograph about 400 images, I use about eight at the end. Because the antenna is not in the right place. Yes. One leg is in the wrong place. It's yes. not facing me. It's not. Yes. It's, it's too too little in focus, and you know all these things. So my recycle bin is uh, way fuller than my website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I think that's with any uh, genre of photography. All right. So let's let's start. So we've got the uh, you you have the the live ant. There's you've built the set. What sort of lighting are you using? I'm using, um, I've been using quite a few different lightings until I found one that works best. Because uh, the lighting I have to change depending on how reflective the ant is. If I've got a very, very black ant that is matte, I have to use a different sort of light settings. 
then if I use a very, very colourful ant. Okay, so, so for a matte ant, with like a dark ant, what, what sort of light are you using? For now, I've discovered one of the um, diffusers that works quite well. And um, what I do, I change the diffusing material. Instead right. of changing the whole light system, I keep to one flash gun on my camera. So is this a then, studio system or is it a speed light? It's just a speed light. Speed light. And is but it the, a the particular is, brand or it doesn't matter? Uh, no, it doesn't matter really. Yep. I use, but the one I use is Nikon because yep. all my, my equipment is Nikon. So um, I use a SP910, I think it's called. And it's served me well so far. So okay. So and yeah. and uh, are you using a a, a larger diffuser? Uh, I do use a larger diffuser, uh, coupled with my with the flash, and but the material that the light travels through, I change it based on the ant. I do a few tests while the ant is just moving about randomly, uh, and whatever diffuser material fits that purpose. Sometimes I use a piece of plastic. Sometimes I use a piece of paper. Sometimes I use Toilet paper that worked really well with someone's. Uh, so, so you've got your original um, uh, whatever the the ripstop nylon that they use on uh, certain. Um, so, is it a softbox that you're using? Uh, Octobox, no, softbox. What, what is it? This is uh, built by a friend of mine in India, and he's selling them. And I was a bit skeptical at first, but this guy really knows what he's doing. So I took the bullet and bought one. So this and is specifically it, a diffuser for macro photography. Yes, yes, yes. Extreme yes. macro. This, for the extreme macro, no. For that for the extreme, no. If I go over four x magnification, I can't use that diffuser. No, it, it's not enough light. So for for the extreme one, if I go to f- more than four x, five x, ten x, twenty x, then I use a rig which I built myself, uh, and I control the f- I by use four flash guns four speed lights yes um and all these are triggered by the trigger on the camera yeah. and i use two electronic rails to move the camera back and forth yeah because i and imagine the, the other um, rail yeah the, the the to focus it's not like when you're focusing a larger object where it's like you know m- m- sort of m- micro focusing you're doing like the, the, you couldn't focus by hand, I imagine, because you'd no, over-focus you don't over-focus or under-focus. So yes. Yeah, through the viewfinder, you can't use the viewfinder because the camera is mounted on a on an electronic rail. Right. And then I tether the camera to a very large TV, so I can see. It is a very large TV, so I can see where is where this where's the starting point of my specimen. Right. And then I I calculate the depth, then the steps. And then uh, I use the other motorized rail to move the specimen up, down, left, right in microns. In microns. So it's a bit of maths. Yes, it's a bit of maths involved. Luckily, the... I teach maths. so. Um, right, so it's right, right up your right. Okay, so going back to the lighting now. So you've got – can you describe the um, diffuser rig that, that, that you're using on the speed light? What sort of size is it? What, what does it look like? It's like a cone-shaped. Yes, and the the narrow end goes into the flash, and then you, it's just literally a cone. Yep. And then extends above the the subject. For example, if the working distance is fifteen centimeters, that extends another seven eight centimeters over that. So you you've got a better spread of light across uh-huh. in the top. And so the the idea is to have a a very soft light 
that that, that, yep. that covers so that you're not getting uh, you're trying to get as much fill light in there as possible and avoid having um, as many sh you know shadows and things like that because I can see there's yep. just so much detail it's just like very flat so I imagine are you are you photographing so if you've got four lights is it two either side at a 45 degree angle how's it working if if I've got if um, if I go to a higher magnification and the camera is mounted on the electronic rail then i don't use that diffuser i just use a tube diffuser which is right. what exactly what it is a tube made of a very um very nice plastic which yep. kind of lets the light in softly uh, and then the flashes are one top sometimes one at the bottom and two on the side sort of a 40 45 degree angle right so you yeah. so you're covering the um Covering all areas where there might be, um, yeah, because you can see. Uh, I'm just looking at a couple here. You can see that uh, the um, you're not getting um, highlights in the eyes like like you would in a normal. That they're like very very soft highlights mm. in the eyes. Yeah. Uh, kind of like uh, I guess the way they're lit would be the same way that you would lit a high-end reflective uh, electronic product where you've got a yeah, really gradual, yeah, yeah. The, the gradations are very gradual and smooth and soft. So that's that's the sign of uh, good photography uh, in, in the insect world, in the macro, extreme macro world, yeah. right? So you yeah, don't want, you want those see... little highlights that you get in, a say, a portrait where you've got like a sharp highlight. That's a no-no, yeah. I guess. It, it it sometimes I I do just for the for the effect just for but normally don't because I really want to see the, the the amazing details of each specimen. Yep. And I, I don't go hairs. for the dramatic look on any if I try not to anyway. All right. So patience. So that you might wait up to three or four hours to get that. Uh, yeah. And uh, so is the entire lighting set up. Where you've got four lights, is that all on a rig as well? So that you're when you it, move one light, you're moving all four to follow this uh, creature around. Um, the the rig when I use the rig with the four speed lights, uh, the insect is is not alive because that's when I use when I really want to get close to a, an ant's face. Right, right, right. Because it would be I built the rig with two flashes, but that was too heavy to handle. Uh -huh. I used to go to the gym, but uh, that didn't help anymore. <laughs> I, I built it too heavy anyway. Mm. And uh, no, I gave up on the idea very quickly because I've had very sore arms after half an right. hour. So I know that wasn't good. But um, when I'm using the, the four ones, I move all of the lights at the same time using um, loads of different brackets yep. and channels that I built. And I'm looking at it now. I don't know how to describe it to you because it's all homemade. So, I, just uh, but, if you imagine, if you imagine a square. Yep. And in that square, there are um, speed lights hanging off it. Yes. At, at different angles. Yep. And close to my um, diffusing material, let's say about one centimeter, two centimeters, depends on on the specimen. It depends on. I might, I might get you to take a, a behind-the-scenes uh, for us, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. I've so got a few shots of behind-the-scenes, because um, my lighting system keeps changing, depends yep. on I find something new on the internet. Okay, let's build this. Let's see how it works. You, you've so, got some on your website? I've got some. Or? I've got some. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, so, no. But, no but we'll, but put, we'll put some in the show notes. Things. Yeah, that'd be, that'd yeah. be fascinating. Yeah, yeah. All right, so four lights. What sort of uh, power? Are you using those at full power? 
Uh, no, if I have to use them for four power, I'll burn the flashes, and then that that becomes too expensive. It's, okay. Very few ants are worth that. To be yes. <laughs> uh, so I use uh, some battery packs from Godox to yeah. connect to the flashes as well. So um, they drain power from that. And usually I don't go over one over 64th on the flash. Okay. So it's just I, about I getting. My flash. Right. It's just about getting a consistent and even lighting all the way around, yeah. low power. Uh, what sort of. Uh, f-stop are you shooting at and then obviously you're using focus stacking but this is be it would be focus stacking on steroids now because of the extreme macro how does it that all some work some of them i use the stack and stitch stack and stitch i i use the i photograph part of the insect and i move to the right photograph another part and another part and i end up with uh, sometimes 20 to 40 different stacks and then when i put them all together it comes out a massive massive um, portrait Okay, so, all right, just to be clear, you're photographing an item that's a millimetre across and yet you're getting even closer, so you're getting into maybe, uh, how many sections, is it four, is it eight? Uh, For example, I photographed a nun, the biggest um, number of stacks that I've done was uh, 18 of a head of a nun. So so is that 18 sections of the ant that you're photographing and stitching together? So Three an eighteenth of a millimeter, which is what's uh, what comes after millimeter. So maths wasn't you my a, strong. You got point. a microns now. Microns. So a microns. Okay, yeah. so an eighteenth, eighteen. What? How do you call that um, fraction? The, eighteenth, <laughs> I guess. An eighteenth of a millimeter is ridiculous. Oh no, that's bl- no, no, it's more than that. It's it's uh, sometimes I go. For example, let's say. A thousand microns into one millimeter. Right. My the steps that I do sometimes are five microns. So, so it's uh, two hundredths of the millimeter. Can you see five microns with the naked eye? No. No. You you don't see <laughs> you don't see a millimeter with the naked eye. If you you're, don't, you, I don't but, know maybe if you're young, but very young. Yeah. yeah. Someone with uh, yeah. great eyesight. This is blowing my mind. Like and so. Yes, and the whole photographing process. For if I if I if I love the ant so much, I I spend time with it. And the whole photographing for for, for one portrait, it, it sometimes it takes me two days. Yes, even more than that. Extraordinary. So, okay, so there's there's this millimeter ant that you're now dividing into, let's say, eighteen images, stitching that together, and then yeah. uh, the. F- so the stitch and stack. So with so you've got this one uh, eighteenth of a millimeter section. Within that section, are you focus stacking? Yes, within that section, <laughs> it goes to something like 100, 120, 80, 90, depends on the depth of the ant and where the antenna is. So yeah, you've got eighteen stacks times but 100, 120 images. One hundred twenty images for that one eighteenth little section. Per stack, yeah. My yeah. God. <laughs> it's a labor of love i'm telling you and i have to do like, all this at night because any vibration my daughter running around in the house it, it vibrates and any vibration kills everything so as soon as she goes to sleep this is when i wake up so okay so with the obviously you've got a particular uh, machinery and software to uh do that focus stacking uh, like over a hundred images yeah what yeah, what, yeah. what is the measurement that you're moving the the focus along 
to get those we're microns again or is it the next level yes, of the microns yes right I, the electronic rail that i use um i i tether that what i view in a camera on the tv screen and on the tv screen i move very very slowly the camera forward towards the specimen and when i hit a very sharp point the, the most front sharp point then i tell my um, electronic device okay this is my start point yep then i move the camera backwards until the last slither of sharpness of the specimen is in focus. And then I tell the electronic rail, this is my end point. Right. And then I input the steps in which the camera to move and take photographs. And depending on the magnification, I tell it 30. I tell it, if it's a high magnification, like 20 times magnification, I use 5 microns, 7 microns, 10 microns, in it. Right. And then I let the camera do its magic. And once it's finished, those 120, I move uh, with the other rail, electronic rail, I move the ant, the specimen, towards the left a bit and start the whole process again. Find the starting point, find the ending point, and then calculate the microns. And again, it goes. So you're manually moving the, the ant? Yes, the ant. Oh, no, uh, the ant, I, I use it electronic as well because uh, I have two electronic um uh, rails and one of them controls yes. the specimen and one the camera. Oh, because I would, I would shake or sneeze or and then it's all but over. But you don't touch the camera. The camera yes. is mounted on the electronic. So I. I so you're working stop, it from the screen, from the from a yeah. computer. That's how you're taking the shot. So you, you can't afford to touch or knock anything, basically. No, no. If I as soon as I press start, I have a delay of ten seconds. Yes. And during that 10 seconds, I move very gingerly out outside the room. And I wait in a hallway until the stacking is done, making sure the batteries are all charged and so on. And then once it's stopped, back gingerly again, because if you trod too much on, the subject might move uh, on the pin that I've set it. And it didn't move such a tiny amount, you wouldn't see it with the naked oh, eye, you wouldn't you can't see it, see no. it but, but many it, it definitely throws it out. Many a times I finished the stacking, and when I put the stuff on the computer, it doesn't line up. The ant moved. Oh, so my God. Then, okay, let's go back again. And I've ruined quite a few specimens. My God. So something like you have to be out of the room because even breathing is no good. And obviously, uh, I guess professional labs that do this sort of work would be concrete floors because you couldn't be on a yeah. – on a on stumps on a house on stumps because like if a nope. car a truck goes by and the house rattles a little bit or just the shifting or the wind or aircon heating all of that is a no no when you're doing this work. Oh yeah, I have all that. No, I don't have the luxury of living in a concrete house. But yes, yeah, I'm lucky but, that the the cars on the street they don't tamper with anything because uh, my my photographing room is way in the garden, so right. no trucks can or no right. cars can ruin. Fascinating. And so in terms of the stitching together, is, is there a, uh, a special software that you're using for that? Yes, yes, yes. As Photoshop, as good as it is, it, it can't deal with us uh, with yep. more than 50 images or something. So uh, there are a few options available out there, but I tried a couple and I, 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 stuck on, I got stuck on uh, Helicon, Helicon Focus. Right. So uh, I use that. It works pretty, pretty well. It's got a few niggles but um, if you get your way around the lighting uh, that's fine so it works pretty well with me there is another one that is called Zerine which other people are using it I guess uh, 
whatever works for one person may not work with another. So, right. And so, yeah. in terms of the the program stitching, doing the the focus stacking and the image stitching together, how long does that take for an image to render? Um, for one stack to render takes about two minutes. Yep. Three minutes. Yep. But then um, each stack after I render it, I each stack I make sure that all of them, the lighting is perfect in each and equal. And then I use Lightroom to um, stitch them together. And sometimes I have to stitch part of it because it gets confused if it's too many. Oh, no, I can't do it. So I have to stitch, like, for example, four, make a nice panorama, do another four, and then the two panoramas that I'm getting, stitch them together. Yep. So yep. that takes uh, a few. And then I, the final image is... Um, Opened in Photoshop to further clean it because yes. you can't see dust, dust mic particles. Micron, yes, yes. So that that takes. I think that killed my eyesight because that takes sometimes hours. Yeah, it would. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of uh, post production on the final image, are you just uh, adding any texture, any uh, you know, any blacks to the image? The black background, I use some stuff, but it's sometimes um, it's not as black as I wanted. So, yes, I, yeah, you'll darken I do the increase background. the blacks. Yep. I, do, I do increase the blacks for that. And uh, play a bit with the shadows. Yes. And then if the microscope objective that I use isn't as sharp as I would want it, I may add a very tiny uh, sharpness yep. to it. Right. Um, but not it, too much. In terms of... like So... How how quickly are the flashes firing for each uh, cycle? So, like, this was, take uh, this a shot. Was, uh, how long do you wait before the next frame? This was an take? experiment in itself because I've burned about um, twelve flashes. Okay, so just explain that. Why are the flashes burning? Because uh, the waiting time between shots, I didn't, um, I didn't give it long enough. Right. So you were firing see, too fast. Yep. I wanted it to fire too quick, and then we fired too quick. Um, the flash can't keep up with it, and then it, it just melts. Okay, and have you noticed? Uh, and I, under, you know, the reason you pay the big dollars for, say, a Nikon speed light, uh, as as opposed to, say, one of the entry level ones, is that mm. you're going to get uh, consistency in the level of flash output and also in the color. In this, at this level, when we're dealing with you know such tiny uh, uh, subjects, and is there, are you noticing uh, a shift in power output with with the Nikon, or is it uh, very consistent? And how? And what about the color? Because the color does change between, like in the lower level yeah. flashes, you do get mm. an inconsistency in color. Are you noticing that with the, the Nikon? And and what what's the workaround for that? Um, the Nikon one, I've because I've only got one flash Nikon, yep. and. I did notice if you pair it with something else. So now I'm using four entry-level ones because mm -hmm. I know this way the color balance, I can work it with the camera. Right. So I can test. And then the color balance actually is also um, influenced by the um, diffusing material that I'm using. Yes. Because the, the, the paper or something, is, it's never true white. The, it's always that, got that some sort of color so cast, yeah. A bit, yes, a little bit. So that, do a few testing, do a few and see what it works, put it on a computer, and sometimes I print it to see, is this the blue that I want, is this the 
brown that I want, you know. So at the moment for the for the four flushes, I've just invested in four entry levels. So my, my Nikon flash stays with the live ones. Okay, so the four is it a Godox system that you're using? Uh yes. Yes. Actually no, I used Godox but I burnt two right. Godox flushes. So I thought, okay, this is not gonna happen again. So I'm using I'm not sure. Is it young? Yes, yeah, so very entry level the the newer, yeah. Newer, okay. They're all yeah. they're all kind of the same. So so that's yeah. working and consistent. Um, yes, um, it does. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. So, all right. Obviously, uh, for someone who is uh, into macro photography, and I know a lot of photographers are and love it. It's it's a fascinating world, and you can get you know d- fantastic shots just with standard gear. But using this mm. technique now, I'm thinking, well. Um, for the average person who's got, say, a hundred millimeter macro and maybe a couple of, you know, extension bellows, and you can get quite close, then I'm rethinking maybe the way that this can be done. To, like, obviously, we're not going to achieve this, uh, you know, uh, millimeter of excellence that you've achieved. But, but say, photographing a, a house fly or a bee or something like that, you could maybe, if if it was uh, obviously a needs to be still to do the focus stacking and and you, you know stitching images together but you could try and um get as close as you could maybe make it up of four images together stacked and uh yeah you can i yeah. did i i i also do um i go to the park and i, I do live, live specimen shoots and i sometimes i do focus stack but you gotta you gotta do your homework a little bit because you can't just go in the park whenever whatever time of day you want yeah for example, if you want to photograph a bee, you won't go in, in, in full sunlight. The bees are very active. They're not going to sit still for you. Right. No matter how famous you are. Yes. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, trying to convince them. And I've met many people who said, I, I did, I didn't get anything. I got annoyed. Of course you got annoyed because you, you didn't look at the behavior of the specimen that you wanted to photograph and understand it a little bit. So, you know, going early in the morning when the bees are quite lethargic and the, the temperature drops a bit, uh, so then, when it's colder, they're not moving around as much. They yes, just got to hi- hibernate much. a little bit, right? Yes. So, so what the are summer, the best insects to photograph for someone starting out? What are the ones that are like uh, quieter and e- easier to uh, get close to? If you if you want to get into macro, yes, I didn't start with insects because I I didn't know where to go to find insects. Okay, of course the park, but yeah, I started with items of food. Okay. To get very close, for example, photographing some seeds that you have in your kitchen, make yes. sure the lighting's right, because this yes. just gives you a wealth of the food items have, they have different textures and yes. different they reflect the light differently. So these, it's a really really good start if you if you want to start out, and it's a good start to learn your gear and see so, its limitations. And then when you yeah. do a bit of this, go out, and I'd say the most cooperative in in the field. I found uh, some spiders, not all, <laughs> but if, you, if you're if not a spider fan, like my wife is not, no. um, yeah. Um, then some beetles move rather right. sluggishly. Yes. But again, for that, you need to know where to find, because most of them are not just waiting for you. They're just under logs or yes. whatever. So uh, lift a stone, and as soon as you lift a, a rock in a park or a stone, that you, chances are you'll find something. Yep. For a few seconds that insect is mesmerized to say oh, what's going on why, why, why is there so much light and it just sits there 
And if you're ready, you can get some really nice close-ups. Yeah, so it's just a bit, but but like I think I like your recommendation of starting with uh, objects that uh, don't move, like food, and getting in detail. Yep. Like you know, I'm just picturing as you were saying that for some reason. Um, the, the detail of a strawberry because if you go macro on a oh, strawberry yeah. they've got pores they've got little hairs and they've got the seeds and the seeds as well so and it's a it's a whole new world so you could start with that and then try focus and stacking and you stitching. wouldn't believe raspberries raspberries are uh, raspberries are hairy yeah so oh, berries yeah. are great yeah. uh kiwi things like that uh pineapples anything i guess that's rough and textured but it's like it's i guess it's all about that discovery and then uh would you uh to start with what what sort of if if you don't want to use flash what sort of uh lighting would you use continuous lighting a lamp or something and diffuse that in the field i think you you're better off with flash because the continuous light you need you need loads of batteries Okay. So carrying a wealth of batteries with yep. you, firstly, is heavy. Yep. And they run out very quickly. And you have to keep the light on all the time because you can't just switch it off when you find the bug. By the time you switch it on and look through your finder, the bug's gone. Yes. So I I never tried uh, continuous light. I only use continuous light in the, in the diffuser, in the cone diffuser, just to add a bit more light for me to focus on the insect. Right. Sometimes if the if the if the f stop is eight or eleven, um, I can't see very well through the viewfinder. Right. So all right. So just for again beginners starting out, let's just say we're photographing. We're going to do a detailed shot of a uh, a strawberry up close, uh, tabletop inside. Uh, how many lights would you using I'll your? Choose. Sorry. I would use one. Let's start one light. One, see what, one light. It's, yep. it's powerful, depending yep. how where you position it and yep. how you diffuse the light, how you throw the light on the strawberry, yep. what's behind the strawberry, you know, what's the surface that the strawberry is sitting in. Is that reflecting any light? You know, it's just. So, so just start work. with maybe a, a a softbox on the speed light, and if the light yep. is still too hard, then throw a diffuser over that. You can use the uh, inside of a uh, your five in one reflector as a start. And then you can also just keep stacking diffusers to, to continue if you want the light to be nice and soft so you can get in and, and uh, capture all the shadows uh, and all the little uh, dents and crevices in the strawberry. Yep. Plus, you've got to prepare your subject as well. You can't get, just get one strawberry out of the fridge because it may be condensation. It may be if you wash the strawberry and it's a bit wet, it will reflect a lot more light. And then you say, oh, it doesn't look very nice. Well, okay. yes, because the preparation wasn't. Okay, so how do you prepare a, a strawberry? Uh, I haven't shot a strawberry to be honest with you. <laughs> well, how do you, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask when you were explaining the extreme macro, how do you prepare an ant well, to be photographed? Well, if it's a live ant, the, the, the preparation is just patience, waiting okay. for the ant to, to right. relax. But yep. if it's a dried specimen yes. kept in a museum for God knows how many years, and this, this process takes quite a long time. The first thing that it is I have to rehydrate the ant. And that takes about 48 to 72 hours in a rehydrating chamber. I'm picturing an few... ant on an IV here, but it's like, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe in the future. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I keep it in a, in a very airtight container. Uh, the ant placed on 
um, very, very soft paper that doesn't leave any hairs. Yeah. And the, 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 the towel underneath to create the moisture is made with some um, vinegar, but not, not such a vinegar that it stinks the whole place because I don't like the smell of that. Right. Plus a few mothballs because if you leave an ant in a moist environment, the biggest danger that you have, and you will if you use water, is mold. And that stuff grows like you won't believe how fast. Right. And you got to be careful because if you leave an ant for 48 hours, 72 hours, and you don't open the lid, that's a really moist, moist environment. And mold loves that. And then uh, I've learned that from my mistake when I kept the ant like that. When I opened the box, the ant was like, like a Oh, I mean, like coronavirus, if you like. <laughs> right. The spikes coming out of yeah. it, which is the mold. And then the mold is right inside the ant eating its its soft tissue. So got to be careful with that. Then once the, the rehydration is in place, you've got to be very careful not to break any, any of its legs. Yes. And under a microscope with very, very tiny needles, um, uh, put it in place, try to keep it in, in the whatever shape or whatever position you want if, as if it was live you need to be careful of the antennas and um sometimes and most of the times i try to open the ant's jaws as well so when you photograph you see the splendor of his jaws so, so this is happening under a microscope obviously yes right? so, yes yeah. yes yes and it's very easy to damage i mean yeah, one little of course of, of leg, it's, it's gone and then once you do this and then, then you got to wait for another 48, 72 hours for the ant to dry in that particular position. Unbelievable. Um, the, other, the other thing that you, you have to be careful of is the eyes of any insect, not necessarily ants. The eyes of any insect, these are compound eyes, they're not like mine or yours. And those eyes um, get off very quickly and they change color, they turn white. Mm. So for that, I have to use a different chemical to put a very tiny amount of drop on the head and then the eyes remain black as they as they are in nature. Right. Sometimes I don't bother with that because I just want the texture of the ant and I say, okay, I know it's a dead specimen, it's for a museum. Yep. They know it's dead. I mean, they've sent it dead to me, so I'm not going to try to revive it. Um, um, and um, then the whole process of photography starts. And then it's patience takes... and, uh, and oh, a, yeah. a, lot, a lot of patience. Okay, so when you're out walking around, obviously, like, this must have changed your... Um, feeling towards nature and how connected we yep. are what, what what lessons has this taught you about the world and what matters and what's why we're well, here well the main one is uh never tell my wife if i see a spider in the house i let it be yes i never tell her yes if i do i don't see <laughs> the end of it yes so um but to be honest with you reading about each specimen and even the ones that are in my backyard you know, during lockdown, I couldn't go anywhere, so I had to, you know, revert to my backyard, which isn't very big. But um, you see a lot more when you when you go out and just really pay attention. Yeah. You see, and once you read about the insects, you see, oh, I didn't know. In my back garden, I've seen eight different species of bees. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. There were so mining bees, worker bees, and so many different types of bees and bumblebees. Even bumblebees, I've seen yeah. about 11 species, which is crazy. Yes. Yeah. But once you read about it, once you start, and then, oh, I'm going to photograph this from this angle if I can. I'm going to do this in this angle. So, and I've learned a lot about, especially the ants. The ants are my favorite, by far my favorite. And so they, they, they're quite, they, 
like extremely organized, extremely intelligent, the way they work together and cooperate and... Ants are more organized than humans. They are yes. absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the queens, some queens can live for up to 30 years, creating millions and billions of, of, of little babies. Yeah. And did you know that the ants don't have fathers? They only have grandfathers. Did you know that? No. Because the ant, when, um, when it's a virgin queen, it's got wings. And then the male in the nest flies out and the ant, the queen ant flies out and they mate. Right. Well, after they mate, the, the male ant dies. And there's very little research about male ants because they don't live very long. So they're quite useless. Once, they're yeah, used for one well, thing, reason. Well, I would say useless. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they have their uses, let's put it that way. <laughs> I mean, I feel for the guy, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so then the ant stores in her abdomen stores pouches of sperm for the rest of her life. And whenever the ant needs <gasps> to increase the, 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 the colony, the numbers, just selects a few sperm particles and create another egg, another egg, and another egg. And that could happen for 30 years. So the ants the actually invented out. the sperm bank ahead of um, us. It's, that, that's extraordinary. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's quite incredible. So do you... Do you tread lightly when you walk around? Are you aware of this whole world? You would feel incredible guilt if you ever... Um, I mean, do you have a Buddhist approach to, to, to life and to, to not, not kill a, 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 any living creature? How do you feel about all that? I really um, respect the... And mm. I, did, I didn't respect them much when I was a kid because I was, uh, what I used to do is um, catch bees and tie a string to their legs and then walk it as if it was a dog but it was flying <laughs> and i got stung i got stung um, many 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 of times of course but i didn't learn the lesson i still do it i don't do it now don't yeah but um i did learn a lot about it and i've got a great respect of it of every or anything and sometimes yeah. i find a very interesting insect like a scorpion fly which is it sounds dreadful but it's harmless it looks really mean and she's here up close, she says, oh, I don't want that near me. But it's really, really, really harmless. And then I brought one into the house. It was a bit lethargic. And then just photographed it. And then once it started moving, okay, let's, let's take you back outside, put you back on the plant that I found it. It's pretty neat. Is there a, a species that you'd love to, like, is there the one get that, like, in the extreme macro world, it's like the the ultimate is there is there one of an insect like that for you that you'll go yep. oh my god yep. i could die happy if i photograph this what what is it yep and it's something that lives in your neck of the woods oh really yes and i haven't found anyone to give me a specimen it doesn't have to be alive just that it's a, a dried up specimen is fine even if it's a leg missing that's fine i'll reproduce it in photoshop from the other side but it's a um my first Love is for ants, but my closest uh, to ants are tiger beetles. Tiger and in beetles? in Australia, yes, in Australia lives the fastest insect in the world, and that, coincidentally, is a tiger beetle. Right. And that's, the name is Chinchidelas hudsoni, and it, it, it's the fastest runner in the world uh, based on its um, body size. It really is incredible. What and part of Australia are they found in? I, I think they're pretty much uh, spread around because they're, they're really fast and uh, they but they're like the more sandy areas so okay coastal yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that I haven't photographed yet uh, people have seen I'm right sure they've seen them I've got a friend in, in Australia who 
I communicate often, and I've got some friends in a museum, and the museum has them. A few, and yes, some. I found some a collector, but he wanted um, too much money for a specimen. Really? So I thought, if I if I buy that, then all right. I, so Aussie listeners, Aussie listeners, if you find the tiger beetle, <laughs> send send one over to Eddie. Chichindela, yeah. Chichindela Hudsoni. I'm going to say that again because if somebody finds it, I'll 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 buy him a cold one. Chichindela, <laughs> Hudsoni, Hudsoni. Um, like who knows? I've, I'm, I live with uh, plenty of insects, and I'm like you. If I find a spider, like we've got great big huntsmen, they, they might be the hand span. We'll see one of those on the wall, and I'll, I'll um, I catch them with a glass and paper and put them outside. I can't bear to. You to don't kill need them. a macro lens for that. You don't need a. Ma- Mention this to my friend. I said, oh, look, I would love." So the uh, the tiger beetle, and uh, I guess uh, the favourite that you photographed so far. What 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 is that? Ooh. The favourite that I photographed so or far. Or the image think, that you're most proud of that, of course, for the degree of difficulty there. Or... The thing is, um, based on the degree of difficulty, I'm working on a book uh, at the moment and it's almost finished. It's going yep. to come out next year in New York and it's about ants. Right. But the image that I've, that I've shot, one of the ant portraits, didn't make it to the final cut. Right. So you see, what, what I think is absolutely amazing, it ends up... The editor because didn't I, agree. I, I think I, I based that based on... Um, how much work I've put into it. Uh-huh. But then uh, the editor looked at it and said, well, I don't see the work. I just see the aunt. It is amazing, but you've got better, better um, images somewhere else. So let's use this. I said, okay, fair enough. Yeah. I think that's so a common favorite... experience for a lot of photographers. You know, we get attached yeah. to an image, you know, and then we'll present it and then, you know, people go, yeah, it's okay. But you go, yeah, but I hung off, a, I waited 17 days to get the, you know, people don't appreciate, <laughs> yeah. they only see the final image. No one knows the work that goes into it. Yep. But my favourite is it must be an army ant, which was very difficult for me to get because they only live in South America and you can't get him out of the country without a very, very tricky to get license. Right. And those, uh, I had a friend in Germany at university and he said, yeah, they had the permit and he said, look, I've got a one specimen to spare if you want it. I said, oh, yes. That was my, oh, I was really happy about that. You must be like very a happy. kid on Christmas when you get that next bug coming in the mail. Oh, I've got a list of 3,800 wow. insects that I, I would like to, to purchase, but um, no, I <laughs> I don't show that to anyone because it's too expensive. But Fantastic. Mm. All right, so what, what's next for you uh, after you're like you working on a book? What, what do you hope to do next? What would be the ideal? Say, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Well, hopefully this book, it's got to come out next year in the, mm. in the spring in, in New York, and then... Um, hopefully, I'll get. And I'm planning for the next five years at least two more books to come out. I've got one on beetles, and I'm still contemplating one on tiger beetles. But at the moment, um, we'll see how I present it to a publisher. So, yes, and maybe slowly, slowly, teach less in a college and uh, spend more times with my bugs. Yeah, teach teach how to do this extreme macro. Yep. That would be amazing. Yeah, that. yeah that would be amazing. Um, Eddie, this was a fascinating discussion. I'm I'm so glad I uh, stumbled on your work. I don't believe there are accidents in this world. Uh, I think I'm um, just love the image, and I encourage the uh, the listeners to go and uh, check out 
your website, Eddie Image underscore photography. Uh, that's Instagram. So that's website, the, uh, eddieimage.com. Uh, and uh, you've also got a Facebook page, Eddie Image Photography. I will put all those links in the show notes and I will grab some behind-the-scenes images from you to also put in yep. the show notes. I wish you continued success and uh, I hope you get that uh, that shot of the tiger beetle at some point. <laughs> Be excited Me to too. see it. Yeah, thanks Me so too. much for the chat today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Same here, same here. Thank you very much. There we go. What a great chat. And you really have to go to uh, Edward's website, which is ed, that's as in E-D-D, image.com. And amazing. The Mm. close-ups of all of these creatures, they're like they're from outer space. Yes. And they're like they've been made in a costume department at you know, Lucasfilm or something, they, in fact, they are like you've walked into the Star Wars cantina. Yes. And, you know, they're a bunch of people from Tatooine and Alderaan and um, combined with bounty hunters and they're just bizarre looking. They do look, ants do look like aliens and they've, mm. they've got that, that, that look about them, but it's like suddenly, but how's the, like they've got different hairstyles yes. and different looks Amazing. and how different they all are, you know, mm. and I can't, since I've done that interview, Val, it's like I'm looking down and going, I don't want to step on an ant because it's like, <laughs> I just don't, because you just so see them now. The the um the insect that uh, Ed is, Um, interested in photographing is an Australian tiger beetle, which is apparently the fastest insect in the world. It's a Cicindella Hudsoni. So if anyone knows where Ed can get a... (laughs) If anyone in Australia has one in their backyard, just go, oh, yeah, I've got a whole, like, tree full of those (laughs) and uh, you can find a way. Let Ed know. Yeah, let Ed know because, yeah, I think... But they're fast, so I think... I guess yeah, you've you got might to be not quick be able to, to grab them. them. You know, <laughs> I might not be able to catch them. But yeah, well, look, look, look. It's not just a show about photography, Val. Yeah, We've oh, learnt no, about that's right. um, beetles and about ants and um, mm. and you've got to check out Eddie's behind the scenes uh, yes. images. So these because are in the show notes. Setup is mm. yeah, they're so great. Cool. They're really yep. interesting. So the show notes are, of course, at GinaMilitia.com. So anyway, Gina, what are you doing in the coming week? Uh, I'm editing uh, today and tomorrow and then I've got a, another shoot at the end of the week. So we're getting back and it's like where you kind of got to be masked inside, unmasked outside, but it's, yeah. So uh, doing that and then I'm also uh, more travelling and I'm right now, Val, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy cheese. Oh, yes. I because, think too. you know, mm. I just have to. That's I know. What, I'm just craving. It's Me on my. Too. I've got a, a, like so. It's on the shopping list. Yes. Cheese. Yes. <laughs> mm. What about you? What do you got on? Um, tonight I'm running a webinar for artists who want to license their artwork. You know, like onto wall art or products or that sort of thing. Um, I am. Need to get you in the gold community doing that, Val. Well, I'm not super. I'm not. I'm not a super expert. I'm just sharing my experience. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't necessarily know 
all of the ins and outs. I can only talk about what I've experienced so far because yeah. the other thing that I'm doing is um, I have, you know, the dimensions of various lifestyle products like makeup bags and beach bags and cushions and that sort of thing. And I need to put my artwork on on that, like on Photoshop, so that they are going to be um, wholesaled. So, Fantastic. Yeah, it's – um. It's fun. <laughs> anyway, awesome. where do we find you online, Gina? So you can find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on all social media. And if you want to take your photography to the next level, then do check out the goal communities. You can find that at ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.